Hello, welcome to another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics. Matthew Collar here and joining me on the show today to talk NFC North because we're starting to get into it. It's funny if you're a regular person who doesn't cover the NFL that a lot of times you're just playing golf and you sort of look up and you go, oh, wait, I guess they're starting training camp soon. But for those folks like myself, it feels very close in the distance. And for folks like Lauren Cox of the Locked On Bears podcast. What is up, Lauren? Hey, man, I'm just so excited to have like a real training camp this year with like fans can go and watch. And it's not some, you know, closed off secret mission going on behind closed doors. It's it feels like normal ish. Yeah, I think it is going to feel pretty normal. Like now when you walk into anywhere, it just feels like everything is sort of back to the way that it used to be. And I'm really looking forward to that with training camp. Uh, last year, it was almost spooky to be out there with just nobody around. And like, I think this is training camp, uh, but this year it'll be great. And then fans in the stands will be absolutely tremendous because I could not have disliked empty stadium games anymore um, in the Chicago press box there uh it doesn't really matter because you it's enclosed and you can't hear the fans that much anyway but in minnesota you know it's open because it's in a dome and so that you really get that feeling of the wall of sound which last year it was just the wall of nothing and echoes and then they would shoot off fireworks still when someone scored a touchdown but with no fans there it just was the loudest noise ever so anyway let's move past that and i, I want to talk all nfc north quarterbacks with you and sort of preview and try to figure out like even what is happening here with quarterbacks. And since you cover the bears, we have to start with Justin Fields slash Andy Dalton is still a thing. So tell me what you expect as the bears go into training camp with the Andy Dalton, Justin Fields. Can I, can, can we call it a situation? Let's call it a situation with the situation, Lauren. I struggle with that terminology too, because it's not really a quarterback competition. they, full steam ahead. And, and at this point they've repeated it enough and have been firm enough on it that Andy Dalton is QB one and Justin Fields is QB two. And Nick Foles is hanging out somewhere, just chilling, waiting for another team to come calling at some point, but he's still there too. He's QB three. And it's, it's, it's this balance of like, you want to get Andy Dalton as up to speed as possible to start week one, as the bears have fully indicated the plan is but you also want to develop Justin Fields. So like, do you take some of Dalton's first team reps to give to Fields for some of that development? Or, I mean, this is a brand new offense for Dalton too, and brand new receivers and a whole new situation. So he's got a lot of learning to do and he can't spend all his time, you know, helping Justin Fields and, and getting everything up to speed there. But it does feel like it's just this ticking clock of when will Fields take over and, and how are the bears going to kind of, control the discussion and the narrative if training camp comes around and fields is lighting it up and maybe dalton isn't there's that you know that sort of growing pressure and all the questions at all the press conferences are going to be about that and i i don't envy matt Nagy's position but i think bears fans are more than happy to have maybe a couple different quarterback options that you're actually interested in with Matt Nagy, I remember we talked before the draft and I think you were saying like, look, Matt Nagy, it's not a great situation and you're kind of feel like you're a little bit stuck with him or should you just fire him and maybe move on from this whole thing and, and try something else. And then the draft pick of Justin Fields sort of changes 
maybe even the timeline and the amount of pressure on Matt Nagy, because I would have thought if they just went into this year with Andy Dalton and drafted like a tackle or something that everyone would have been saying, man, if you go eight, and nine, just move on, just try something else because being stuck in the middle, isn't that great. Uh, but how do you think it changes the, the view on Matt Nagy? Like, does it extend how much, patience he gets or if this doesn't go well I remember John Fox was the coach when Mitch Trubisky was drafted and it didn't go well that year and they just fired John Fox like where is Matt Nagy's place in all of this with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields I think that's the most interesting thing about this offseason for Bears fans kind of like you said before the draft it was kind of like the plan was Andy Dalton and if they don't win some games they're going to clean house so then all of a sudden does drafting Justin Fields change any of the questions or concerns that we had about Matt Nagy as a head coach and Ryan Pace as a general manager before that, like, like all of a sudden it felt like so many sins were just instantly forgiven. It's like, no, well now we're full on board with letting these guys develop Justin Fields. Cause at the end of the day, that's what it becomes more about. It's like, what, what will be better for Justin Fields keeping Matt Nagy and company around to give him that continuity, or will it prove out to be that a new coach and a new regime would be better for Justin Fields. Like it's almost like it's almost like a, a relationship that was on the mend, and then they had a kid, and now it's like, <laughs> oh geez, like now we just have to do what's best for the kid. And does that mean, you know, having mom and dad try and work it out together, or do we have to split households here and do kind of a joint custody thing? So that's what's so fascinating for me, and and I'm willing to give Matt Nagy some more benefit of the doubt than John Fox had in 2017. Like that one. That one at the time, it wasn't like there was this big feeling like Fox was going to be the guy to develop Trubisky long term. Whereas I think Nagy still has enough of that reputation and enough of that background from Kansas City to feel like even though there have been some questions about his offensive success and innovation in Chicago the last couple of years, there's still that like, well, he he was working with Trubisky and Foles and maybe it wasn't quite the caliber of quarterback. There's still like that that shadow of a doubt of like maybe there's still something more here. Whereas the aging John Fox, we kind of knew what he was and wasn't. It's a really good question to ask. Did Matt Nagy botch the Trubisky years or was Trubisky just so bad? What was anybody going to do? Because if you're looking at sort of both sides of that, the play action wide zone stuff, Trubisky was better. Uh, at least, I mean, for my eye watching him now, of course, against the Vikings beat up defense, but like, <laughs> but still like just, just a technically better situation for him mm -hmm. where uh, in this type of offense, we've seen Kirk Cousins thrive. We've seen Ryan Tannehill thrive. And even though he was not accurate still and had his same decision-making blunders, including throwing an interception in the end zone against the Vikings, when they were just a handoff away from closing out that game, we still, it just looked more comfortable for him and more effective. And it took a really long time for Matt Nagy to get around to the offense that made the most sense for Mitch Trubisky on the other side of the coin. Mitch Trubisky is a backup in Buffalo making $3 million on a one-year contract. That shows the respect from the league for uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky that nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted to bring him in. Not, it's not even a Ryan Tannehill situation because when Ryan Tannehill was brought to Tennessee, they were on the ropes with Mariota. Like it was kind of over and it was somebody to threaten him. There's no threat to Josh Allen for Mitch Trubisky. So the league all watched Mitch Trubisky and said, no, 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 no. No, it wasn't Matt Nagy's fault. It was that guy. He's bad. So how, how do you weigh that 
with how much blame Matt Nagy takes, because I think that ties into how much trust you have with him and Justin Fields. Yeah, there's always this inclination to make it like who, wh- whose fault was it 100%? Was it Trubisky or was it Nagy? And I think you're touching on how there, there's a middle ground here where it felt like at least for the last couple of seasons until the last you know second half of 2021 that Matt Nagy wasn't doing enough or the best ways of maximizing Mitch Trubisky's skill set. That Nagy had a certain vision for what he wanted his offense to be and what he wanted his offense to look like. And I think he thought Trubisky could operate that, but he held on to that and tried to sort of square peg round hole for a little bit too long until they lost six games in a row this past season. And he thought he might get fired and had to change up his whole offense to say, all right, screw this. Let's just make the best Trubisky we can get. And that's where the other side of this coin is, is like the best Trubisky you can get is still limited as a quarterback. And that's where, that's where you give Matt Nagy some of the benefit of the doubt there too. That it's like, even when you could squeeze as much as you could out of Trubisky, it was never going to be, you know, a Super Bowl caliber quarterback to get your team to that level consistently. But we also feel like Matt Nagy didn't squeeze as much out of Trubisky as he could for a lot of his time in Chicago. So then when you try and apply that to trust for Justin Fields, I, I think there's a concern of, of how Matt Nagy might adjust his offense to his quarterback and those things. But if Justin Fields is just the better quarterback and is as good as Bears fans are hoping he can be, you might not have to adjust that much. And he might be more of a fit for what Matt Nagy was trying to make Trubisky be early on. And, and there was a lot of great things schematically that Nagy did. And especially, you know, 2018, some of those things were starting to work a little bit and it just sort of died off from there as, as partially the level of quarterback play and the surrounding talent around him kind of dropped off. So like there's enough there that we you've seen Matt Nagy be successful offensively with quality quarterback play. So if Justin Fields can be that quality quarterback play, in theory, the trust should be there that Matt Nagy can make this work. It's a matter of how quickly can Justin Fields get to that point. So give me the ideal scenario with Justin Fields, the most likely scenario, and the fire everyone, how did you mess this up so badly scenario for this for just this year only with the quarterback situation for the Bears? It's, it depends on Id- ideal by whose standards, because the Bears keep sort of insisting, I say sort of for a reason, that the plan is to treat this like Patrick Mahomes and start Andy Dalton the entire year and, and don't give fields this season. But then Matt Nagy in every press conference always leaves the door open for like, yeah, well, we're still going to do what's best for the bears and we're still going to put our best quarterback on in the field and all these different sort of caveats that have basically only guaranteed Andy Dalton week one. That That's about the extent of that. You can say for sure he's going to start against the Rams. And then from there TBD. So I, I think best case scenario, I mean, I think for the bears, it's Andy Dalton plays really well and you don't necessarily need to put Justin Fields on the field that as much as you might want to get him some experience at some point down the line, I think they're perfectly happy with, you know, throw him in week 18 against the Vikings, the way they did with Patrick Mahomes, his last game of his rookie regular season. He got that, that chance to get at least get some snaps out there. And then you go on to the playoffs and, and do that. I think that's the best case scenario for the bears. More likely Dalton is going to be up and down for, you know, four, six, eight, ten 10 weeks. And, you're sitting a couple of games below 500 going into the bears week 10 by week. And you need better at the quarterback position and, and you make that change. And 
where on the schedule to find that is, is really the most difficult part because the Bears have kind of a weird back and forth schedule. There's no back to back home games. It's alternating road and home every single week. And you kind of go good team, bad team, good team, bad team on paper. So it's hard to find like a three game stretch where it could be a soft takeoff for fields against a couple of bad teams back to back. So it's it's a, a really difficult thing. And I think at this point, it's just going to be as long as Andy Dalton can keep him off and. I think we're going to get to this point where maybe the Bears are beating bad teams and losing to good teams, and you still don't know like if the Bears are any good up to this point and if Justin Fields is going to make a difference or when he's going to be ready. But uh, realistic for me is that that you know 6 to 12 range in that middle third of the season. Wheels falling off would just be you know Dalton getting hurt or, or just playing so poorly so quickly that you have to rush Fields out there, and maybe it's too early for him. I mean, Trubisky – this was sort of the plan for him in 2017 behind Mike Glennon, and he barely made it four weeks before the Bears had to make that change. So I think that's what you're trying to avoid. But it doesn't feel like there's there's a scenario where Fields is just a, a complete and total mess because I think expectations are going to be reasonable for, hey, it's his rookie season, and we just want to have something to be excited about for 2022. I think teams mess this up all the time. Remember Tom Savage started instead of um, Deshaun Watson? For like and a half. I think – I who was it? Gosh, who started instead of Josh Allen? I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, somebody was it ridiculous. AJ McCarron or something. Um, Nathan Peterman. Nathan Peterman started instead of Josh Allen, right? I mean, just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Why we would bother with. And that's a little bit of the problem in a way with Andy Dalton is he's just good enough to not beat the good teams, like you said, and to beat the teams that are very beatable and to win a few just like he did with Dallas last year, you know, he gets them to six and 10 because he's Andy Dalton. And with Cincinnati, he could, when they had great, great teams, they could get 10 wins out of him or nine wins out of him. But that's just like, what is the point of doing this? And so I, I guess I think why not just go with Justin Fields right away? Because like you said, the most likely scenario is Andy Dalton eventually drives them crazy and they're losing. And then they're like, Oh, now we have to go to Justin Fields. And I get the Rams Aaron Donald thing, but also every team has someone who's good at football on defense. So if your plan is to have Justin Fields, I don't think he's a guy who's like Mahomes in the way that he has to sit as long because he played a lot of football and he played it for Ohio state. Right. I mean, Mahomes played a lot of football, but in a ridiculous preposterous, not anywhere close to NFL type of offense. And he was technically troublesome with how, you know, the footwork and all those things that people complained about. So it was good for him to sit for a year. I just, I, I can't see a huge benefit for having him sit for five weeks and then being like, okay, now play that, that we've wrecked our season because we decided to go with Andy Dalton. It doesn't seem like there's any measurable benefit that like it's sort of that, you know, that rule of thumb. Well, yes, ideally rookies should sit because it's good for them. And you ask, well, why is it good for them? And again, you start to like, you can kind of postulate and say, you know, well, then they get to, they can see how a starter prepares himself during the week and they can see how the, you know, the NFL speed gets adjusted and they can get used to, I mean, all these sort of like intangible, unmeasurable things that you could probably figure out on the fly anyway, as a starter. And is, is it really going to be the difference between fields being a great quarterback and fields being an average quarterback? Is, is, is that going to be the difference between you know, him starting right away at week one or, or sitting eight to 10 weeks? I, I think logically from a football standpoint, you're hundred percent correct that there's, there's not really like an X's and O's argument that I've heard as to why fields shouldn't just start week one. But at this point it's, they're so, 
they're so locked into this and they so they committed it from the start and it becomes that like that free agency negotiating politics game where when they signed Dalton, they told him he was going to be their week one starter. And if they if this regime gets a reputation of promising players things and then not giving them those things, then all of a sudden, you know, free agents become a little bit less inclined to want to play for you and teams or players become less inclined to be, be traded to your organization because they don't know whether they can trust you and take your word on it. Plus the money, you know, that they'd be paying Dalton just to be purely a backup after signing him for not a crazy amount, but he would be a certainly a well-compensated backup, much like Nick Foles, who's already the highest paid number three quarterback in the NFL right now. But, you know, it, it just becomes, you're sort of playing the, the politics game with free agents and quarterbacks, which is not necessarily the same as doing what's best for your football team. I think the best way to do it is probably just to say, oh, Andy Dalton, yeah, you're QB1 to start training camp, and then we'll see how it goes. And the minute Justin Fields does anything good in a preseason game, you're like, well, there it is. He's set, good to go, and then go forward with it. Because by the same token that you say, like, there would be a trouble if you promise players things and then don't give it to them. It's also a problem if Allen Robinson is catching footballs from Justin Fields and then in practice and going, oh, my God. He throws the ball so beautifully and fast and far. And then you're making me play with Andy Dalton. Like, I think in a way you have to consider that too, right? Is that Justin Fields is just so much more talented than Andy Dalton. It's not even like a Ryan Fitzpatrick to a situation where that was pretty wonky too. And that's a thing you can run into where you're winning some games and then you change to the other guy and he's not as good, but to a, he's not like this unbelievable athletic talent or something like Justin Fields is. He doesn't have a cannon like Justin Fields does. And I think the players ultimately, they they kind of gravitate to the player with more talent, even if the other guy is a little bit more refined. So I, I think it'll be a fascinating situation to watch. I want to ask you about the other situations too um, around the NFC North, and we'll get to Aaron Rodgers and, Okay, let's just start with let's just go to Aaron Rodgers because look, don't ask the guy during a golf thing if he's coming back. Okay, he's, <laughs> he's not going to tell you. <laughs> like he's why, just why do not. people's why do people still ask Aaron Rodgers at all? Like you know whether it's a golf thing or anywhere. I mean, he's it's not his style in any way. Right? Are, are you coming back? Actually, guys, I waited till I was playing golf with Bryson to say yes, I'm coming back. But I I will say though that the fact that we've reached this point and he hasn't said he's not going to play to me means he's going to play. That's where I've sort of stayed on this like hill for the entire off season that it's going to get pretty dark. It's going to get pretty ugly, but ultimately Rogers wants to be the guy who rides in on the white horse and takes his team to the Super Bowl, And then everyone talks about, ah, the team mistreated him, but Rogers overcame it again. I think he loves that. I think he wants that. And I ultimately think that's going to happen. But how do you feel about it? Yeah, I, I'm I've been curious about the the public leverage aspect of this, where it's like, what is Rogers's advantage in being wishy washy? I mean, you know, and why why not say no? Because you, you can always change your mind. I mean, you, you could say no, I'm not coming back, which has been sort of reported that he's maybe told teammates or coaches or whatever that he's not going to come back but when you're asked about it in public why why not why not throw a little bit more of a fit because even now with everything already reported you've already got a, a split among the fan base where some Packers fans are saying screw him we don't we which is I never thought I would ever hear in my lifetime Packers fans saying get rid of that Rodgers guy 
bring on Jordan Love. But but it's like if the, if the damage is already kind of done, what advantage does he get from from being wishy washy about it and just kind of being mysterious and ho hum? Like either throw a fit and and maximize that leverage or just come back and eat it and deal with it one more time. It just it's it's been kind of a weird approach from the Rogers camp from the start that once once it's out there then you might as well go all in, either in or out. And the fact that he's not going all in on, I need to be traded, whatever, like publicly, like you said, and he's just sort of hinted at being annoyed. You made a good relationship comparison earlier. I'll make one. You get in a fight with your significant other and you're like, I'm not, I'm not talking to you anymore. And you just go to your whatever office or something. And then you, coldly walk by them and just like not say anything and and you know what i mean for a day but no one could keep that up right so you're going to eventually kind of just work it out uh that's what it feels like a lot more than no we are filing divorce papers and if you're the packers i think you're totally fine with waiting this out as long as you need to wait it out um you know maybe earlier this offseason i felt like gosh if you could have traded them for the number three over overall pick maybe you should have done that but I could also see a case for being like, okay, I'll let you give me the silent treatment. It's fine because you have no leverage to leave here uh, or you're not divorcing me because you can't or you won't. So I'll just wait you out. And I feel like that's exactly what the Packers are doing. You're saying, okay, fine. And even if this goes into the season, it's like, Aaron, you going to play? You're not going to play? If they go 0-2, does does Aaron get a bunch of phone calls from Devontae Adams? Please come back. Jordan Love is horrible. So uh, that one, I think eventually works out that way to me. It's more when than it is if, but give, give me odds. What, what's your odds <laughs> on Jordan love actually starting many football games for the Packers? It, it seems pretty low, right? It, it seems like, you know, I, I, when you say many football games, you know, what, uh, 20%, 15%, you know, it just doesn't seem like I, I'm in a similar path with you that there's there's a process here and there's a, there's some relationship repairing. It just seems weird because like, what is like, obviously Rogers feels disrespected and, and obviously wants to have more say in some things, but I don't, I don't understand necessarily how the Packers can appease him other than trading him. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like a contract holdout where love goes Oh, and two, and then the Packers come and say, all right, we'll give you whatever you want to come play for us. But they, what can they, what can they tangibly give him? to get them to play other than some sort of, you know, was there a written agreement that, Hey, we will give you more say in free agent decisions, or we will trade for some player that you like, or sign some free agent that you like. Like, I don't know what olive branch green Bay can give him other, other than trading him, which is not, does not solve the problem. If, if they start losing leverage, like they're, I don't know. I don't know where green Bay can, can really real Rogers in other than just sort of getting in the staring contest and say, you know, it's up to you if you want to sit out and not collect your checks and not play that that's kind of their only their only play for the Packers so just it it's like you said it just seems like once we got through the draft and and the main movable parts of the offseason that you're not going to be able to orchestrate that kind of a trade in training camp if Aaron Rodgers came to you as I don't know who makes this decision because they don't have an owner but let's say it's uh, Mark Murphy I don't know who makes this call uh and Aaron said look if you fire Brian Gutekunst, I'll play. I'll play today. I'll suit up today. You fire him, I play. That's it. That's the ultimatum. You don't fire him, I go host Jeopardy or I play golf. I would fire the GM in a second. I'd be like, all right, okay, Brian, go find another job. See you, buddy. What would, would you do that? What would you do? 
It's it's hard because Aaron Rodgers is 37 turning 38 this season. And yeah, certainly if this was Rodgers five years ago or whatever, 100%. And that's in no way to suggest that Rodgers is declining yet. But you could only go so – I mean, Tom Brady is obviously breaking all of the rules. But, like, if we get, we get three more years of elite Rodgers, maybe four – I mean, if if I'm if I'm Mark Murphy and I really think I'm that close to winning the championship right now, I think GMs are a lot more replaceable than franchise Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Absolutely. So I would be inclined to meet that demand and fire Brian Gutekunst. But I would imagine if I'm Mark Murphy, I was very involved in the drafting of Jordan Love and probably have a lot of confidence in Jordan Love because I was so involved in that process with that general manager that I hired. And so I, I can see where his his perspective would make that decision a lot more difficult for than us on the outsider. Just like, well, I mean, what is Gutekunst compared to Rogers and Jordan loves not anything, you know, for sure. So of course you would keep the hall of fame quarterback and move on from everybody else. But being in that decision, make a role with that kind of information definitely changes the dynamics for me. No, for sure. And he's like, you said, he's got skin in the game there, but if it was just you or me, I think I'd say, take a hike general manager. And here's why. For, from my perspective, the Minnesota Vikings have won 13 or more games twice ever. They did it, The Packers did it the last two years in a row because of Aaron Rodgers. We and you and I know from our respective teams how impossible it is to get a quarterback that great and how every single time you roll out the 53, you have a chance to win a Super Bowl if you have that guy. And I just couldn't pass it up. I couldn't pass it. There's no chance Jordan Love is as good as Aaron Rodgers. Zero. And uh, if, if there's, there's, you could go 30 years without finding anyone close who gives you this much of a chance to win the Super Bowl in the next, like you said, three, four years of elite play. Guess how I could find another general manager. I mean, you could be the general manager. Who cares? Like, just <laughs> really, there's like got to be a thousand people in the world who could be totally fine general managers who are involved with football, right? There's like three Aaron Rodgers level people. So that's that's a well, that's the way I look at it. I think from a from a leverage standpoint, I, like I we could imagine a scenario where this conversation may have at least happened, where Rodgers comes and says, "Hey, fire Gutekunst or or I don't show up," and if you're Mark Murphy, the decision in your head maybe isn't one or the other. It's it's can I keep can I actually keep both? Do I trust Rogers' threat? Is he is he really gonna sit out? Like if my alternatives are fire Gutekunst to keep Rogers, or maybe I can keep Gutekunst and keep Rogers. I don't I don't think that Rogers is really gonna sit out the whole season. I mean that from Mark Murphy's perspective, that's that's I think what that comes down to is it's like I don't think I have to fire Gutekunst to keep Rogers and still, you know, get, have my cake and eat it too. In this regard, like I don't, the threat from Rogers isn't quite real enough mm-hmm. to pull the trigger. But if, if it was like, if Rogers in some had some kind of opt out or something in his contract, you know, in a, a alternate reality where he truly could escape in a real threatening way, then of course uh, I'm firing Brian Gutekunst right away. Yeah. I, uh, I think you make a good point though, where it's like, what, can they offer him at this point? He doesn't really want money. Does he want a longer contract? Does he want Jordan love gone? Does he want like, what could you do if he wanted Jordan love gone? That would be pretty easy. You just like trade him to somebody for a second round pick who cares. Uh, but you know, I don't know what it is and you're right. They invested so much in 
the, and part of the investment is not just trading up. It's not just a first round pick, but it's also alienating your starting quarterback. That's a lot of investment to put into this one player. So, so that is a difficult one where you could say, oh, they, sh-, in some of these situations, it's like, oh, they should just pay him. And then they usually do like Russell Wilson. I think a few years ago, there was some contract sort of rumblings of oh, Wilson's unhappy with negotiations. And they're like, I'll oh, just give him all the money. Then you're good. It's fine. That's not that way with this because he's already got all the money and he doesn't care as much about that. It seems uh, let me let me get one more uh, relationship yeah, analogy in here. It's like uh, <laughs> Rogers and the Packers, the Packers cheated on Aaron Rodgers, and mm. now he's upset. And it's like, you can't just un cheat on him. You know what I mean? Like you can break up with, the per you know the, the boyfriend or whoever you, you cheated with and make oh we're never gonna talk to them again but for Rogers it's like well no that doesn't really of course I don't want you to talk to him again but that doesn't really make it better so like all they can do is promise him in the future that they will <laughs> behave better and be a better partner in that relationship and there's not really you can't just buy a big bouquet of flowers and say forgive <laughs> me and it's like with Jordan Love it's like cheating with your neighbor because he's yeah. just right there. <laughs> it's like it reminds you every day by working with him in the quarterback room that they kind of chose him over you if you're Aaron Rodgers, or at least that's the way Rodgers is psychopathic enough to see it, right? It's like not really super rational, but neither is uh, a lot of NFL superstars. Hey everyone, summer is here and you're trying to get out on the golf course, but if you're like us here at Purple Insiders, spending all day golfing isn't always an option. That's why you need to check out Birdie Golf in Woodbury. I'll give you an example. My wife is new to golf and she's intimidated by the big courses, but at Birdie Golf, she could come and play without the pressure. You can make golf a family experience at Birdie Golf. Bring the kids, still get all of your swings in. They have eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and still have a great time. I've heard from several listeners to the show who have tried out Birdie Golf and absolutely loved it. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights. And every time Sam and I show up at Birdie Golf to record our podcast, we always get the boneless wings. Make golf a night out. It's the perfect place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, and even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive away from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro at birdiegolf.com, B-I-R-D-I golf.com. Call 651-998-2200 today, and I'll see you there. I want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen it yet, you've got to check it out. A couple of my favorite designs are the Duck Duck Gray Duck and the Randy Moss Goat, which you've got to see. Uh, all their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. By the way, use Promo code Purple Insider for free shipping. That's SodaStick, S O T A S T I C K dot com. Original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. Uh, let me ask you this question about the Lions. Do you care about the Lions? Do you care about Jared Goff? Like, do you think about that when you're doing all of your shows, Locked On Bears? Do you think about the Lions ever? It's funny, you know, like after the draft, I went around and, you know, talked to a Packers guy and talked to Vikings guy about their drafts. And I, I never quite got to the Lions because it's like, well, and, you know, just, you can pretty well mark those as as W's on the on paper on the schedule. And the things can go wrong between them and there. But like, it doesn't feel like they're a team that's like legitimately they'll certainly say they're legitimately competing this season. But a lot of the roster moves over there have not been, uh, I'll say, like 
the you know seeming like the best interest of the short term future of the team is very feels like Goff is just kind of there as a placeholder and you look at everything that they've lost at wide receiver and what they've tried to replace it with I mean they're they're slowly kind of getting some foundational type stuff there but clearly not going out of their way to win as many games as possible in 2021 it's the beginning of what feels like more of a rebuild rebuild so like I care in the sense of keeping an eye on where things are trending in the long term, but I, I'm not too concerned about them in 2021. Right. I, I had the same thing. Although I, I will say that uh, I did have a podcast scheduled with uh, last year. I brought on a couple of guys from a podcast called the pride podcast, and it is about the lions. So, and, and <laughs> anyway, we played a game of like, what, what happened there where I kind of just went through all the things that are terrible with the lions and they had to explain how it got there. Um, so that's the only way to use the lions in the form of conversation is like, can you believe that they just stuck with Matt Patricia and continued to roll out the worst passing defense in the history of the NFL over a three year period? Like, yeah, that's the lions for you. Uh, the only thing that sort of interests me is just the fact that Matt Patricia isn't there. And they have Aaron Glenn as their defensive coordinator, seems like a competent person. And Jared Goff, when he has pass protection, can be pretty good. They don't have any receivers to get open. But when he had time to throw in Los Angeles, he was much better than when their offensive line deteriorated a little bit. And so there's a way to talk yourself into the Lions being at least worth discussing, which is, hey, their coaching staff before was so epically incompetent that maybe they could actually win more games or be more competitive just by proxy of not having Matt Patricia. Yeah, there's, there is something to be said, like as much as, you know, Dan Campbell is ridiculous, just a, a meme of a human being. Yeah. You know, I think I saw just the other day that the, the Lions have, I think, seven former players on their coaching staff, and they're the only team in the NFL where the head coach offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator all played in the NFL. I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers and, and, and who to credit for having dug that up, but there, there's something to be said about toughness as much as it's overblown as a, as a trait. It, it just feels like these guys are going to be maybe a little bit more disciplined and you won't maybe have as many of the, like the lions, you know, goof ups or just the weird fluky lions things where they just are hilariously, you know, on undisciplined or make those kind of stupid, easy mistakes that they're, they're not very talented right now, but I'm, I'm sort of expecting them to be a little bit more, you know, sharper around the edges where it's, it's not going to be them beating themselves as much. It's just, they won't have enough talent to beat you. <laughs> right. 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 At least like, will their defense look mildly competitive would be the thing. And <laughs> it's, it's, not that, I mean, Matt Stafford has had his moments over the last couple of years, but it's not that he was so good where you're like, oh, the drop off to Jared Goff from what they've been is going to be incredible. I think that there's people think that there's this massive distance between Jared Goff and, and Matt Stafford. I don't know how you feel about it, but having watched many a Matt Stafford game, I just can't get there. I just can't. Oh, man, you'll never replace this guy. You mean the guy who throws interceptions in the end zone all the time and like takes sacks constantly at the worst time? Like, I don't know. I just I feel like if there's sort of a competent Jared Goff and there's a competent uh, defense and they have this good offensive line, you can get to a place where you say maybe we shouldn't just ignore them when the Vikings are going in to play the Lions. There was a game I think David Blau started where. I have never had this before. I didn't even want to go to the stadium to cover. The game. <laughs> I was just like this. 
this is the, what am I doing here? It's like a fourth preseason game. It's the worst. I always think of Matthew Stafford as like Jay Cutler with a better publicist and a better PR <laughs> team around him. But and yes, I mean Jay Cutler was great. injured too, but and maybe some better weapons around him. But anyway, no, but to your point, so like, good. That's so good. I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> but like it blows my mind that the Lions have had three top ten picks in the last three years and passed on quarterbacks all three times. Like I mean, it's one thing maybe maybe two years ago with Hawkinson, maybe they weren't ready to move on from Stafford just yet. You were early enough in the Patricia regime where you weren't sure yet, but the last two years picking Akuda at three and Penny Sewell at seven. I mean, I'm glad they didn't take Justin Fields, but like they it's mind boggling that they haven't made more of a long-term investment in that quarterback at the very least to your credit. When you talk about that defense coming together, there are a lot of recent draft picks littering every level of that defense. They mm-hmm. used a couple of day three picks in the defensive line this year. They got some recent linebacker picks and then they took one in the fourth round this year. And of course, Jelani Tavai a couple of years ago. And now that secondary, it's been, you know, draft picks every single year, Akuda and now a uh, Melifanu and they got uh, a Rui. They got the, the worst names to pronounce of by all means and across their <laughs> roster. But I mean, even both their safeties, Harrison and Tracy Walker, but day two ish, maybe early day three draft picks across the board. Like that's what I mean. Like they're building that foundation. They don't have like stars and superstars that are these top notch talented players that are going to elevate the team. But it's like, there is a consistent investment in developing young players at every level, at least of that defense. And then somewhere along the lines, the offense is supposed to catch up at some point. I have been more convinced by Lions like pro Lions arguments this offseason than I was last offseason. Remember, everyone was saying, Well, if Stafford continues the numbers that he had in the first six games and they've got these receivers, and it's like, yeah. Who's their who's their coach? They have the worst coach I've ever seen. I wrote after they lost to the Vikings at US Bank Stadium last year. The headline of my article after the game was Vikings fans will be sad when Matt Patricia is fired, and they were. I mean, it's just, I've never seen a more incompetent coach. I think Vikings fans who remember Les Steckel, maybe, but someone who continued to play the same defense every single game and just get torched every single game and not change anything is uh, mind blowing. And I, I don't think it was the roster. I think it was truly, this man had no idea what he was doing. So um, let me get one comment from you about the Vikings. And then I have a quick game for you before we wrap up. Uh how you feel about the Vikings? I mean, just don't, don't, uh, don't hedge. Don't hold back. Just give me your, give me your honest assessment from the Windy City perspective of how you think the Vikings will do, how much of a threat they are to the bears. How you feeling? I always feel like I should be more concerned and threatened by the Vikings. Like they're always a team that I look at and I'm like, they should be pretty good. Like, you know, there's, there's talent across the board here. You know I mean? It's, it's all, it feels like it's all there. And it's like, Ooh, like those could be tough uh, on that bear schedule, but they are both in the last, what, five weeks of the season. And so I don't know what Vikings we're going to get at that stage of the year. Cause there's so much of that sort of Vikings inconsistency. And it's just like from week to week and, and year to year, I, I just, I don't know what to expect. I like the moves that they've made. I mean, I know they've, they've kind of slowly bled some talent here and there, but you know, you bring in Patrick Peterson and you kind of revamp some things on the back end there. And I know there's been some turnover and now the defensive line is absolutely loaded. You still got, still got the receivers and you adding slowly to the offensive line with Christian Derrissaw. I mean, it's like, they seem to be filling some of their gaps from the previous year. And, you know, we've seen Kirk cousins do Kirk cousins things on and off. And it's just like, I, I, I want to be 
threatened by them. I really, I want to give them that benefit of the doubt. It's just hard for me to like really trust it until we see it. Cause even we'll see it for three or four weeks and then we'll see something different the rest of the year. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855 217-2688 extension 232 to connect with them directly to find out how scout logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company this has happened every year except for 2017 that i've covered them where it's a winning streak a losing streak um disappointing games like in 2018 they lost to the bills last year they lose to a winless falcons team And then, you know, they beat the tar out of the Lions and maybe they've got a game on national TV that they win and people get excited. And then it kind of goes back the other direction. And so they're going to have to kind of prove they can be more consistent than that, as you mentioned. But I feel the same way about the Bears, where it's like they're interesting to talk about right now because of just how things played out in the offseason. But we won't see each other, Lauren, for a long time. I mean, it's going to be the end of the season. I mean. Who's the starting quarterback? What's the Bears record? But then again, the Bears at Soldier Field can beat the Vikings with Jim Miller and Chad Hutchinson. So I guess it really (laughs) doesn't matter. And that's that could also play into your lack of Viking fear is like, well, when they come to Soldier Field, it's a win anyway. So, um, all right, before we wrap up, oh, you got one more comment on that? Well, I, I like one of the things I was noticing as I was looking back through the Vikings is like you can kind of track how this has gone with maybe this is unfair to call, but the deterioration of the coaching staff, like when, when the, when the pedigree of the offensive and defensive coordinators under Zimmer have sort of like slowly dropped over this. And certainly they've had some issues with some of them that maybe had higher reputations before they came to Minnesota and things struggled. But like when you're down to Clint Kubiak and what is it? Adam Zimmer's doing in their, their defensive coordinator with Andre, Slash Andre Patterson. Patterson. Yes. Yeah. They get, they, to me, that's, that's usually like some kind of a, a sign when you get into the end of, a coach's regime to where he no longer has the coordinator cachet. They're, they've come a long way from uh, was it George Edwards uh, and the defense there. And I mean, they've, they've had some really quality quality guys that again have had offensively, maybe some question marks here and there, but it does feel like the, uh, the, the shine is certainly off of, of where that coaching staff maybe once was. Well, and at this point it's just Zimmer's ship. I mean, he's yeah. alone. Let me, I'm not a sailor, but like alone at the bow or at the, alone at the wheel alone is there a wheel on sale i don't know whatever like he's up there himself as the captain i'm the captain now and everybody else is sort of following his direction and how that goes um last year it didn't go so well and we'll see how it goes this year with like you said clint kubiak is the offensive coordinator that means mike zimmer is in charge of the offense um okay before we wrap up (laughs) here is what i got for you uh there are let's see Actually, I just want you to, to give me players since 1995 for the Chicago Bears that have had more than 1,200 yards receiving 
in a single season. Chicago Bears, players with more than 1,200 yards receiving in a single season. Can you do it? Uh, Brandon Marshall. That is correct. Um, I think Alshon Jeffrey did. He either came really close or broke 1,200. Yes, he did. One year he had 1,421 yards. And I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think Allen Robinson hit 12. I think he was just under. I think it's just those two. Allen Robinson, 1250. Oh, just barely. This is, okay. This is what inspired the question. That's what I figured is where that was going. But so now you have two more guys. And if you say another one, I'll just give it to you because it's 11 yards away. Hmm. Now these might be harder because one of the guys is so random. I've, I don't remember him at all from 1995, another guy, oh, 1999. <laughs> and then another guy, if you say him from 2000, from 2002, I'll give it to you anyway. Those are a, a little before my time uh-huh. of really being conscious of being old enough and conscious of, of bears football. So uh, picking a, a wide receiver from the late nineties and early two thousands is when you say the name, I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard that name, and I, but I, I can't say I've watched them play. So I like in my head, I was like Moose and Muhammad, or maybe Bernard Berrien, but I don't think they quite came that close in like the mid two thousands. But this would have been before their time, so there's no way. Right, those are good jokes, or, or not jokes? Wow, I, yeah, they are. <laughs> it is a joke. They're passing. Those are good guesses. I meant to say, um, but uh, you have Marcus Robinson, uh, Jeff Graham, who I have no Oof. recollection of. And the one I was going to give you Marty Booker. was Marty Booker. Yes. Yeah. 1,189. Yep. I thought you might throw out a Curtis Conway, which he was a thousand yard receiver. You also had Bobby Ingram show up. Sure. Bernard, Bernard Berrien was a good guess. He had 951 yards for them. And then the Vikings got him and it wasn't good. Um, <laughs> Martellus Bennett was sort of in that ballpark. So there was, there was some guys that you could have guessed, but I just think it's sort of funny that like bears passing games have been generally so bad that there are very few players that ever have great receiving seasons either. It's been why the Allen Robinson thing is so head scratching to me that you, you have legitimately like a section of bears fans that don't want to pay Allen Robinson top money. Cause they don't, they don't see him as like a, true number not that he's not a true number one but just he's not worth the the that price tag i guess apparently a lot of it i think comes down to there were a couple there were like three plays last year where mitch trubisky threw him a 50 50 ball and they all came down as interceptions and (laughs) maybe robinson could have done a slightly better job of fighting for those balls but i i will take the other 130 catches compared to those three plays every single day yeah, he's I mean, he's terrific. I, I think he's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And to be able to even put up the numbers that he has with Mitch Trubisky uh, should be exciting to Justin Fields. Should Justin Fields ever play with him? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you do great work, uh, Lauren, where you're always a great guest on the show. I love bringing you on and I am stalling so I can pull up your Twitter handle. Oh, OK. Cox, C-O-X, please. Sports one is your Twitter. I've never heard it with the, with the please. That's good. There was the other day uh, I was on Twitter and I see someone's name trending who I've never heard of. And I was like, well, who is, who is this? Just, you know, I'm not doing anything. I just click on it. And uh, it was a porn star. And so the first thing that popped up was like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. Now I know who this person is. And I've seen a lot of her. 
So, and now you need to scrub your internet history and your, your wife's going to find out and all this stuff it becomes <laughs> a whole issue, I guess. I'm not going to take that any farther, but COX <laughs> sports one on Twitter, locked on bears podcast, Lauren Cox. Great stuff, man. Uh, always great to catch up with you. And we will, we'll definitely do it again before Vikings and, and bears play. Cause that's a that. really long time from now. I was going to say, we'll have a couple, we'll see you in a couple of years when we finally get yeah, to that right. game. Cause and it's a weird quirk of the schedule every year bears and Vikings and final game of the season. Looking forward to it. It'll be fun. All right, man. We'll talk to you again. And uh, thank you all for listening to purple insider.